Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Why don't you open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark? We're going to be in verses uh, nine, uh, 14 through 29. The title of this morning's message is Faith Strengthening. I think part of coming to church is for that very purpose, right? To strengthen our faith. As I was going over the message this week, I was thinking of when I was a kid, uh, me and my brother, uh, my parents took us to medieval times. Do you guys remember medieval times? They still have that. I think it's like $100 a ticket now or something. But uh, I remember they bought us these little wooden uh, swords and a wooden shield. And, uh, you know, that brought us many hours of joy running around trying to hit each other with the swords, you know. But uh, the thing that protected us, one, was we knew if we hurt each other that our dad would hurt all, both of us. But the shield, right, that little shield that we held up and it would just protect us the whole time. Right? We would be whacking away at each other and just, you know, blocking it, blocking it. And you knew if you stood behind that shield, for the most part, you weren't going to get hurt. That shield was everything. That is the thing that protected us, that emboldened us, and made us think we were invincible. And as I was going over the, the text this week, I thought of, you know, what is faith? You know, is faith like something that we wield and, you know, I'm going to let me grab my faith and smack you over the head with it. Or is it something else? And I looked up in Ephesians chapter six, verse 16, it says this about faith. And it happens to do, if you already know what I'm going to talk about, this is where the armor of God, it says this. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which it, you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Think of that. That's what faith is. Faith is a shield. It, it protects you. It emboldens you. It gives you strength. And that's what the apostle Paul is saying here in Ephesians, that in order to protect yourself, you take up the shield. But what is shield compared to? Faith. You see, some of us need to strengthen our faith and stay behind that shield and use it as our protection, the thing to embolden us. And in the text this morning, I hope that you, I can bring that out to you and show you what exactly faith is and how we are to strengthen our faith. And it is more, obviously, than just a little wooden shield. So let's look at the text this morning. Open your Bibles again to Mark chapter 9, and I want to... Read verses uh, 14 through 29 to then come back and talk about exactly what is going on. And in the midst of that, obviously, we'll find application. And again, hopefully that just remember that picture of the field, the shield of faith. And so the gospel, according to Mark, the apostle, or the uh, Mark, sorry, not the apostle. Mark writes this. And when they had came back to the disciples and, you were with us last week, or if you know the context, the three of the disciples and Jesus had gone up to the mountain. Jesus had transfigured, and they're coming back down from that mountain now. And that's why it says they came back to his disciples, to the rest of the disciples. 
and they saw a large crowd around them. And some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it, is, and it has often thrown him both, excuse me, and it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to, to it, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and, got, and, got, and he got up. And when he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So here we have an account of a demon-possessed boy and the father coming to Jesus to get him, you know, get that evil spirit cast out. And as you could tell, Jesus wasn't there. So he goes to the disciples, asks the disciples to do it, but they can't do it. And so what does this story tell us about faith? There's a lot of things that are, there's a few things that we're going to point out about faith. So, uh, let me ask you this question. First of all, how do you develop a weak faith? Meaning not a very strong faith. I'm going to point that out as we go through this story. And the first one is this, for those of you taking notes, how do you develop a weak faith? You put your faith in the miracles of God instead of the God of the miracles. I'm going to read that again. You put your faith in the miracles of God Instead, the God of the miracles. And this is what we see in verses 14 through 19. We see that a father has brought his son possessed with an evil spirit to Jesus, as I had mentioned. But Jesus isn't there, right? Because Jesus was still coming back from the mountain. So he gives, he, he goes to the disciples and he asks the disciples to cast him out. But they couldn't do it. And we're going to talk about that in a moment on why they couldn't do it. But let's first look at the father and the crowd, because they're all expecting this great miracle to happen. And it doesn't. You see, the father and the crowds, they knew that Jesus could heal him. That's why they came to him. Or they heard that Jesus could heal this boy. And so they go to him because they need a miracle. 
but they didn't get the miracle, right? And why not? Was it, the, only the, 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 was it only the disciples' fault that they didn't get this miracle, that this boy wasn't healed? We're told in verse 19 what exactly happened. Jesus considers that the attitude of these, this crowd and this father is an unbelieving attitude. That's why in verse 19, he rebukes everybody and says, Oh, unbelieving generation. And we might think, well, they came to Jesus, right, to get for this boy to be healed. They, they kind of believed it. They must have believed it. Why does Jesus say, oh, unbelieving generation? Well, it goes back to what I started out by saying is that they put their faith in the miracles of God and not in the God of the miracles. You see, they were coming to Jesus with the, with the wrong, you know, for the wrong reasons, for the, with the wrong attitude. That's why he says you're unbelieving. That They really had an unbelieving attitude. The reality is that some of these people only came to God when they, when they needed him, right? None of them were following Jesus. They only came when they needed him, when there was something going on in their life, and they needed God to answer them. It seems that up to now they were just ignoring him, or they ignored his call to come follow him. And again, the only reason they came to him is because tragedy has striked. Or tragedy has come. And they expected that Jesus do this miracle for them. And they did this, obviously, without acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior, because he calls them unbelieving. If they were believing, then he would not have said that to them. Or at least they were acting like an unbeliever. Or even in our own day, some people only believe the Lord or only come to God if God does this or this or that. Like, if God, if you do this, then I'll believe you. If you do this, then I will follow you. And let me say this. If that's your idea of Christianity or being a Christian in life, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. Why? Because God does not bow down to our demands and our whims. God does not do miracles just when we want him to, right? God does miracles when he deems them necessary, when he desires and for his glory and for his glory alone, not for us. Remember, we, we saw last week in the text, Jesus said to, that it is a wicked generation that seeks signs, right? You seek a sign to demonstrate that he's God. Show us the sign, Jesus. Show us who you really are by doing this that we want you to do. And he says, no, you're not going to see a sign. I'm not going to give that to you. So if a weak faith then, as I started out by saying, is how you develop a weak faith is if you put your faith in the miracles of God. Because every time a miracle doesn't happen for you, you stop following God. You stop believing in God because you're only believing in his miracles and not in the God of the miracles. That's how you have a weak faith. Another example of a weak faith or how to have a, a weak faith can be found in verse 18. And, and this is, uh, let me read verse 18 again. So this is when he came, the father to Jesus and Jesus wasn't there. And he asked his disciples, he says, I asked your, I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not. So he was putting his faith, and this is how you have a weak faith, put your faith in the ministers of God 
instead of the God of the ministers. You see, the fathers thought, hey, these are Jesus' disciples. They should be able to do what Jesus can do. So he said, hey, you guys, heal my son. See, the father trusted in the title of these men. That these are disciples. They should be able to do it. They say they've been with Jesus. And so he felt that they could do it. And this was a mistake. For the disciples of Jesus are not Jesus. Ministers of God are not God. Right? The disciples are just men and they fall and they fail. Therefore, the father's faith when they failed was crushed, which is why in verse 22, and some of you I heard laugh when he was, when he actually found Jesus, he said, if you can, like, Hey, if you can heal him, can you do something for me? Can you have mercy on me? He was doubting God because the ministers failed. So he felt, well, if they fail, then Jesus is going to fail. He was equating the disciples' power with Jesus' power. If the disciples can't do it, well, then Jesus can't do it. Again, he was putting his faith in the ministers of God instead of the God of the ministers. Can't we do that as well? We can put our faith in men, and we stumble because of that. And I hope none of your faith is relying on me as a minister of God or any other minister of God. Because guess what? I'm not going to live up to your expectations as uh, a minister of God. And neither is anybody else. I can't save you and no other minister can save you. Pastor Jared, Pastor John, and, and Pastor John, they can't save you. The pastors that you listen to on TV, you listen on the radio, they can't save you. They are not God. We're ministers of God, but not God. Ministers of God, I heard it said, are this. We are just beggars telling other beggars where to find food or where to find bread. That's all we're doing. Hey, I found it. I'm going to show you where you can find it too. I'm not the source of the bread. I didn't bring the bread. I didn't make the bread. I could just point you in the right direction. And so I hope your faith is not tied to a minister of the gospel of Christ. And I hope your faith, not only that, is not built on the faith of another person. Because we can do that as well, right? It's like, well, my, my children know God, so I know God. Or my wife knows God, so I know God. Or my parents are believers, so I'm a believer. That's not how it works. We're all going to stand before God and give an account for our faith in Jesus, each and every one of us, by ourselves. So we can't have our faith, we can't look to somebody else to be our saving grace. We can look to them to point us to where to get that bread, but they themselves cannot save us. Each and every one of us has our own responsibility before God. Let me just caution each and every one of us because you hear that, right? And we can say, well, well, since their faith isn't dependent on me, then they can't, you know, I could do whatever I want, Right? If I, if I sin or I do something wrong, that's, you know, that's, that, and they follow me, that's on them, not on me. Right? For it was the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, who said, Be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. You see, just because we're not responsible for somebody's salvation as believers, 
We still need to be good examples of what a believer is. We should want our lives to be examples of what it means to be a believer. Right? We want to lead others to Christ. We want to be going in that direction and we want them to follow us. Remember, it was Jesus who said to those who follow him, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorified your father who is in heaven. He said it in Matthew 5, 16. Peter also said in 1 Peter 2, 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Even though we don't save people, we still are responsible of being good examples and being good witnesses of Christ. People can still fall because of us. We can lead them the wrong way. So even though they're ultimately responsible for their own individual salvations, we bear some responsibility of being good examples and leading people the right way. But ultimately, again, another caution is we can't say, well, Pastor Robert, I didn't like him, or, or he sinned, he did something against me, so I'm not following God anymore. Jesus never said to follow his disciples or his ministers. He only said to follow who? Him. Follow him. So you can't put your faith in the ministers of God. You need to put your faith in the God of the ministers. Again, you want to have a weak faith, put your faith in people. Thirdly, how do you have a weak faith? Put your faith in your own strength instead of the strength of God. And this is where we get to the disciples. This is what happened with the disciples. Drop down to verses 28 and 29 of chapter 9. So the disciples are shocked just as anybody else about why they couldn't heal this man or cast out a demon. In verse 28, it says, And when he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not cast it out? Meaning the demon. Why couldn't we do it? Right back in earlier in Mark chapter six, the disciples were given the power and the authority to cast out evil spirits. They had that power. They had that authority. So why couldn't they do it here? What was the problem? Jesus tells him in verse 29, he says, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Does that mean, well, if they would have prayed for the demon to come out, he would have came out? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Not really. Well, kind of, sort of. Let me try to flesh this out. Because the disciples were also, I believe, in that, in that accusation back in verse 19, where he says, Oh, unbelieving generation. I think that was addressed to Jesus' disciples, the man who brought the son and the entire crowd. They're part of that in some sense. Not that they're not believers, but that their behavior was demonstrating that they were not trusting the Lord. Their behavior was demonstrating that they were unbelieving. You see, they were not exhibiting faith in the Lord when they were casting out this demon. Instead, they were trusting in themselves. Right? They were like, 
we had this power once, we can do it again. We have this gifting, I can do it on my own. I don't need to ask God to help me to do this. I can do it all by myself. Maybe that's what Jesus was addressing. You guys weren't praying. You weren't depending on me. Instead, you were depending on your own self, your own power, your own strength. And therefore, you were acting just like an unbeliever. They were saying, Lord, we don't need you to come here right now and help us. We got this. We can do it. And so that's why... Again, in verse 19, he says, O unbelieving generation. And this statement in verses 28 and 29 about prayer really gives us some insight into what prayer is. You see, prayer isn't just an event or a spiritual discipline that we go and do. I'm going to go pray. It's more than that. One writer named Dwight Pentecost says this. He says, prayer is essentially an attitude of utter dependence upon God. Think about that. Look at that. Oh, good, it's up. Prayer is essentially an attitude of utter dependence upon God. You see, when we petition God, we're acknowledging that we need Him, that we need Him for this situation. We're acknowledging that all blessings come from Him. That's what prayer is. Prayer isn't demanding and declaring that God bends to our will and our demands. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is a time for the Lord to get our will, our demands, and our desires in line with Him. We go to the Lord saying, Lord, I depend on you. I need you right now to help me through this situation. I need your strength for the day. I need you to help me to follow you today. I need you to help me to preach, whatever it is. I need you to help me to work in children's ministry, whatever it is. It's utter dependence, recognizing, I need you, Lord. I know you've given me this gifting or you've given me the ability to do this, but I also need you. Because what? The Lord is our shield, right? He's the one that we depend on. Remember, as a kid, I was saying I depended on that shield for protection, to embolden me, the shield of faith. This is what we're talking about in prayers. I need you, Lord. And so what we see here is that the disciples were not depending on God for this work of deliverance of this demon. They felt either that they could handle it, as I mentioned, or they were relying on their power that they were already given rather than the Lord who gave them that ability. They're like, I've done this before, no problem. Maybe they were fighting over, hey, I can do this, James, or no, James was there. I can do this, Bartholomew. I got it. Who knows? But they couldn't do it. Basically, again, they were relying on their own ability than the ability that God gave them. And so those who do not seek the Lord's help or acknowledge that all that they have is from Him are acting in a prideful way. And, and in one sense, the disciples were guilty of doing that. They were acting prideful. That's why he said back in verse 19, oh, unbelieving generation, because prideful people don't depend on God. Therefore, they're probably non-believers, right? Non-believers don't realize or recognize or acknowledge that they need God. They say, I can do it. I could do it all by myself. I got here. I'm the one that, you know, got this job or paid for this food or paid for this, or I have this ability. I worked out and I built up this ability. 
so I can do it. I don't need God to help me. I got this. And so in some sense, the disciples were behaving in that way. They were acting self-sufficient, self-sustaining. Ultimately, again, they were prideful. They were not showing an utter dependence upon God. And so therefore, that's why Jesus says, this only comes out through prayer, the utter dependence upon God. You guys do not have that attitude. Therefore, that didn't happen. So again, how do you build a weak faith? Just recapping real quick before we get to how do we build a strong faith? How do you develop a weak faith? Put your faith in the miracles of God instead of the God of the miracles. Put your faith in the ministers of God instead of the God of the ministers. Put your faith in your own strength instead of the strength of the Lord. So finally, let's conclude with this. How then do we develop a strong faith? If we don't do those things, Pastor Robert, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Well, you do this. Put your faith, right, that shield, think of that shield, that your utter dependence and your utter trust in God alone. Remember, as I was saying, when me and my brother were fighting with those shields, we were depending on that shield to protect us and to save us, to give us strength and to embolden us. That was our faith. We had faith in that shield. And in the same way, I'm asking you this morning that you would put your dependence and trust in the shield of faith, which ultimately is God alone. We need to look to God to be our salvation first and foremost. So how do you develop a strong faith? Put your faith in God alone for your salvation. I, I pray this morning that you don't think that you can be good enough, that you can do enough religious stuff to earn salvation because you can't. You need to put your faith in God alone. Let God be your shield. Aren't we told by the psalmist that God is a shield around us? God is our protection. Again, that's the shield of faith. Secondly, how can you develop a strong faith? Put your faith in God alone for your daily walk. How do you develop your faith? How do you develop a muscle, right? We're told to either use it or lose it, right? If you don't develop your muscles on a daily basis, they're not going to get bigger. They're not going to get stronger. The same thing goes with our faith. If we don't exercise our trust in God on a daily basis, then we can't develop it. It won't get stronger. We need to put our faith in God on a daily basis. We need to recognize on a daily basis that we need God. We, have a, we need to have that utter dependence, that, we, uh, utter, that understanding that we need to depend on God for all things. Yes, each and every one of you have a certain skill set that God has given you, that God allows you to use. I hope you don't say, you know what, God, I got this now. I can do it on my own. It's like taking that, it would be like me taking that shield of faith. Hey, let me set this down here. I'm strong enough now to defend myself, to walk in this world. The rest of that verse in Ephesians says that you pick up the shield of faith to do what? To shield you from the fiery darts of the enemy. 
You're going to be hide, you know, you're hiding behind that shield. God is your protection. You don't put that shield aside. I could come at me now. I got this. That's what a non-believer does. They don't believe they need the Lord for protection. We need to exercise that every day. Thirdly, put your faith in God alone in every situation in life. We should always have a sense that, God, I need your help in this. God, I need your strength in this. Even if you've done it a million times, that's how we build our dependence. Again, our prayer, when we pray, is our showing our utter dependence upon God. We're, we're acknowledging that we need God. Sometimes like, well, I don't need to pray over every situation. Why not? Are you, you, you don't need God? Is that what you're saying? Like, I don't need to pray for God every time I eat a meal. No, you don't. But in a sense, your soul needs it to say, I depend upon you for this, Lord. Thank you for this. Now, I'm not saying, hey, if you don't pray over your meal that you're a non-believer, but it, it really goes to our heart. Why don't you pray? You don't need God? Why don't you pray at, at all throughout the day? Because you're, you're, you're prideful, right? I don't, I don't need to pray to God. What for? Think of that. That's ultimately what it is when you choose not to pray about something. My wife has always reminded me to pray. She's always, she's great at prayer. Hey, can you pray for this? Can you pray for that? Sometimes I'm like, man, I got to pray for everything. And I was convicted this week going, yeah, you know what you do. Your wife has it right and you don't. You need to be praying about everything. Always showing your utter dependence upon God. So not only do we need to do that, we also need to do this. Remain behind the shield of God. As I was mentioning earlier, sometimes we need to just stay behind it. In that verse in Ephesians um, 6.16, it says this. I want to go back to it because this is important. It says, take up the shield of faith. Some of us are leaving that shield of faith behind, right? We need to take it up. That's why I keep my arm here illustrating, take it up. Some of us put it down at certain times and we put it up at other times. Scripture is telling us to always have that shield of faith up because our enemy never takes a rest. Our enemy is always firing shots at us. And so we need to always hold our shield up. And it takes deliberate practice to remember that. Hold my shield up. Hold my shield up. Don't set it aside. For when we set it aside, isn't that when we get ourselves in trouble? Right? Paul describes this as being shipwrecked. I like this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. He says this, This I command and entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. It's a fight that we're in. He says, keeping, how do you fight the good fight? Keeping faith, keeping that shield up. And a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard, in regard to their faith. You see, some people set that faith down and they end up shipwrecked or in a car crash on the side of the road. Not literally speaking, but figuratively speaking, their life is a mess. They find themselves in places they wouldn't have been if they would have kept their shield up. Therefore, they didn't remain behind their shield. They got out in front of it. They sat it down. They said, I don't need it in this instance. I got this. Whatever the case may be. And they end up shipwrecked. 
Think of your brothers and sisters of Christ who have forsaken the Lord. Where are they at now? If they're not there now, they will be one day. They'll be shipwrecked, crying out to the Lord again to help them. Or maybe they only come to church when they're shipwrecked. We need to remain behind that shield every day. There's another verse that talks about what this means. It means dwelling in the vine of Christ. In 1 John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, building our faith, having a strong faith means dwelling in the vine of Christ, which means remaining, abiding, make your home in Christ. Again, some of us just visit Christ on the weekends. Does that describe your faith? Are you with Christ every day, every moment? If not, why not? Do you realize, do you think you don't need him? You do need him. We need the Lord every day, every moment. We need to consciously remind ourselves to stay behind the Lord. Remain with the Lord. Not getting out in front of him, not moving out for a few days. Because again, when we move away from the Lord, that's when we find ourselves in trouble. So how do you develop a strong faith? Put your faith and trust in God alone for your salvation, for your daily walk in every situation. Remain behind the shield of God and dwell in the vine of Christ. And when we do all these things, when we do this, we'll see what Jesus says in verse 23. All things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible. God can do all things. Do you believe it? Do you depend on him for things? I hope you do today. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for, for everything. Lord, for our breath, for the air that we breathe, for the places that we live. I pray that we would never be so prideful to not remember to thank you for all that we have. Lord, we need you. We are desperate for you. And without you, we're even more desperate. So, Lord God, help us to remember to, to exercise our faith on a daily basis by trusting you, by remaining, by remaining behind you, putting you up as our shield of faith, letting you deflect the fiery darts of the enemy. And may we remain in you, for you are the vine and we are the branches. And apart from you, we can do nothing. Help us, Lord God, as individuals and as a church to put our utter dependence upon you and you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.